Get up, everybody, get off your ass. We got to do something, and we got to do it fast. Cause the people are hungry, starving, and the fuel is low. Don't wait for Jesus, he ain't coming back no more. and sisters and all you citizens of the world. You're here for another edition of Live from the Heartland, currently known as Heartland at Home. And this is number 52. We've been doing this for a year. And this is uh, for the week of May 15th. And we have a couple of really wonderful guests. We're going to have our old friend Andrew Calhoun coming on, singing us a few tunes. But before that, we're going to have the one, the only, the incomparable Beto O'Rourke out of El Paso. So stay tuned for some really good discussion. And uh, whether you're listening to it on air, on a stream, over the internet, we're glad you're here today. Good morning to you, Katie Hogan. Hi, Michael. Um, I guess I did want to start out with one good thing. We got our back porches uh, power wash this past week. So um, I get to re reorganize my back porch. Not well, on that, on that front, uh, my dishwasher broke down, our dishwasher. And we've ordered a new one. Uh -oh. So home improvement is, is still the order of the day. Right on. Let's uh, uh, go to some bad stuff. <laughs> some bad stuff. Look, I just, I, I have this stuck in my craw, as it were. You know, remember when Chicago outlawed plastic bags or at least started charging seven cents a bag to discourage people from using the un-environmentally sound, the unrecyclable plastic bags? Yeah, you remember that. Now, for the last little while, of course, COVID interrupted everything because certain stores couldn't, could uh, no longer use your bag from home because it might be diseased. So that screwed things up. But what I have found out lately is if you ask for a paper bag, which is alt eminently recyclable, they charge you a quarter, a quarter. I mean, come on. We are so behind on recycling in this town. And now to get the recyclable thing costs more than the flipping plastic bags. Sometimes it's hard to do the right thing, but right now pay the money and make the issue uh, something that people are concerned about. And how about on a, on a more serious front, what's going on over in uh, the Middle East in Israel and in Palestine? We've had some marches here in Chicago this week and people are kind of concerned. Well, uh, yeah, I skipped over the global there. I saw, um, we all know that there is terrible things happening in the West Bank and in Israel. And uh, I was impressed with the size of the march that Chicago held this week. It's not the only one. Um, people are upset all over the world. Um, intractable, intractable. And I don't know how to figure that one out. Middle East, Israel. Who, who uh, how about a little report on the 
for the People Act that's going on in our country and in the halls of justice in DC? Well, I think the oddest thing about that this week is that in the course of trying to deal with, um, you know, actually allowing US citizens to vote, the Republican Party has a problem with that. They had to, um, they had to take down um, Ms. Liz Cheney this week because she is not, uh, she won't drink the Kool-Aid on Trump. And the, I think the oddest thing is that myself who saw her father as, I don't know, the devil incarnate. I hated him. I'm kind of rooting for Liz. And I, I'm kind of, you know, that I find a very interesting yet another, we've lived long enough to see this happen thing. But uh, really the For the People Act is, is really important. And we'll talk more about our prize guest today um, about that. Um, well, Liz Cheney is really uh, more than any other Republican about bipartisanship. Yeah, and she's <laughs> she's telling it how it is and she's working together on one front anyhow. And uh, we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, there's yeah. another thing just as we were starting to record uh, where AOC was confronted by uh, that Congresswoman Green out of Georgia. So that's something we have to check out. I just saw it flashing on the news, so I don't have any more details, but I'm rooting for AOC always. Uh, you were most upset about what was going on in Arizona earlier um, when we were talking. Um, well, I am concerned about that. I mean, there are already three recounts on the vote. It's Republican-controlled legislature and Republican governor. Now, the Republican governor was pretty good on saying that uh, who won the election. Uh, but now the Republican legislature has brought in what I call the tin horn little outfit um, to... Uh, help out in another recount where they don't let any press in and they don't have any people overseeing them. So they can do what they want, apparently. Uh, we await to see what happens in the judicial system as it moves up the line uh, once it's challenged. Uh, stay tuned, but Republicans are trying everything they can to uh, just mess with the truth. And the truth in this case is Biden won the election by almost 8 million votes. Yeah, and of course we will talk more about uh, uh, what's happening in Texas with uh, Beto O'Rourke in a little bit. Um, on COVID, just uh, quickly, the, this week they decided um, that kids, young people can get vaccinated and um, the reality I, it struck me right between the eyes is that the vaccinating of kids will probably continue the trend that is has been happening all year that, or since the vaccinations began, that the most privileged uh, get the shots first. Um, uh, a very well-appointed and wonderful school in Evanston has already set up with a medical crew to uh, vaccinate their kids. Uh, the other thing I wondered is, I wonder if Chicago with its fairly terrible record of uh, vaccinating will have it together to vaccinate school kids in high schools here, whereas you asked. Yeah, I think a bigger question even, and I've been hearing it over the uh, airwaves or on the TV anyhow, that, uh, you know, while the world is in dire need of more shots for people everywhere, we're going to give them to the people who need them the least. That would be teenagers and kids younger than that. So once again, our privilege, uh, as much as I, I hope that people get the vaccine, uh, I'm more concerned about the world situation 
and how misery is spreading in so many places because of the lack of adequate vaccines. Okay, and one last thing before we invite our first guest. Um, Michael, you wanted us to congratulate uh, our good friend and recent guest, Daniel Biss. Tell people. Well, he, uh, he was elected the mayor of Evanston. He's the new mayor and his very first act this week was to announce the creation of a reimagining public safety committee. And they're looking into holistic data-driven analysis of everything that's done in order to provide public safety and make the community informed recommendations in time to be incorporated into the Evanston city budget. So we like your first move, Daniel. We're wishing you well. We're glad you uh, are the new mayor of our neighbor to the north. And with that said, let me let everyone know that you are listening to Live from the Heartland, sometimes called Heartland at Home. We're here for you. And Katie, what do we got now? Well, we're just gonna play a bit of a uh, YouTube video that will um, highlight our next guest, um, talking about some of the things we'll be talking with him about shortly. So stay tuned for Beto O'Rourke on Live from the Heartland. These jokers can't even keep the lights on or the heat on or the water running when the temperature drops in Texas. Now they want to take over our elections? Are you going to let them? No, me neither. They're trying to stop more people from voting in a state that is already the toughest in America in which to vote. And what happens? Look, it's not an abstract thing. What happens when you can't vote? You have no say over the quality of your kid's school. You have no say over who represents you on the city council. You have no say about affordable housing in your community. You have no say about justice, especially racial justice in this country. I would ask you to call your senator, but, but, but between inciting insurrection and taking off to the Ritz-Carlton in Cancun when the, when the temperature drops, he's got his plate full. So, so this is what I want you to do. We've got a president in the White House who cares about us, every one of us, Republican, Democrat, independent, wants to make sure that the voting rights in this country are respected. He needs to hear from you. And we tell him, Mr. President, we're doing our part and we have lots of hope, but right now we need some help. You need to use all of the political capital you have to push through the For the People Act. It is the 1965 Voting Rights Act of our day. I need you to call him. Well, that was, Katie, are you gonna tell about that video we just saw? Well, it was uh, a YouTube video that uh, featured Beto speaking. Um, and I'm not gonna say anything about it because I didn't just watch it. <laughs> well, it's, we're, gonna, we're gonna address okay. a lot of voter suppression, but I wanted to start off initially, Beto, we wanted to talk about the border before the rash of voter suppression laws uh, swept the country. Um, so what we wanted to hear from you a little bit about what's going on in the border, uh, what are the routes, has it improved, any uh, solutions that you see on the horizon? Well, as you both know very well, there are a lot of people fleeing some significant misery, especially in the Northern Triangle countries of, of Central America, traveling more than 2,000 miles to seek refuge and asylum and safety here in our country. The previous administration made it extraordinarily hard for them to do it. And in fact, many, myself included, would argue broke U.S. law in uh, keeping them from legitimate uh, 
asylum application requests. And really they were in these uh, detention camps in cities like Ciudad Juarez and Tijuana and other Mexican border communities. That situation in the first few months of the Biden administration has improved significantly. The Biden administration is trying to ensure that we follow US law when it comes to a side job at reducing the number of days and even hours that children and families are kept in border patrol detention. And as you know, they're beginning to reunite the thousands of families that were separated under President Trump's cruel zero tolerance family separation policy. So we, we see some positive steps in the right direction. Uh, it, it is not fast enough and, and it's not big enough in terms of the change that we need to see to, to US policy. So we wanna encourage the Biden administration to do more, reunite more of these families, do a better job of following our asylum laws. And then as you just suggested, Michael, get to the underlying causes that would force someone to flee this great distance. You know, the, the violence, the uh, level of poverty, the effects of climate change, and the US-sponsored civil wars and drug wars that have really ravaged and hollowed out so much of Latin America, especially Central America. These are the things Until that we There's a lot of talk in the news about uh, jobs going unfilled, and someone in El Paso told me that there are signs everywhere along Mesa, et cetera, of people looking for people to fill positions. And uh, could there a case be made in Congress to increase work visas, to let more people in, to train, to fill these jobs like many generations of earlier migrants have done? You know, the, the first step that I'd love to see, Michael, is that we, we ask businesses to pay a higher wage. Right the minimum in El Paso is $7.25 an hour which means that you probably got to work two, and in some cases, depending on how big your family is, three jobs at a minimum wage in order to make ends meet. Uh, so so that's, that's certainly not uh, a situation that's working for the people of, of El Paso or Texas or throughout most of the country. But to the spirit of your question, yes, we, we saw the, the lowest population growth in the United States over a 10-year period since 1790. Um, we, we are um, in, in desperate need of more talent, more people, um, and, and those who can come to this country and make us better by their very presence. So I hope part of what President Biden does is, is really push a comprehensive immigration bill through Congress. That, that is a priority for this country. So um, that's, that's great to know, and, and we couldn't agree more about the need for a a more comprehensive immigration um, improvement. Uh, and higher wages. Form. And, and of course the higher wages, both Michael and I have been to those areas and seen what the US government was doing in the eighties in Nicaragua, Honduras and Guatemala. Um, and so we're, we're right there with you. Um, the next thing that we see and we're very, very concerned about um, is voting rights and fighting voter suppression. Um, the big lie is still being given as the excuse for suppressive voting laws. What just happened this week in Texas? Did they pass something horrendous that we heard about? They, they did um, last Friday in the, the dead of night, literally at, at 3 a.m. in the morning, 
they passed a set of voter suppression provisions that would make it much harder for people to vote in Texas. And Katie, this is already the toughest state in the nation in which to register to vote and in which to cast a ballot. It's 50th out of 50 in, in ease of voting. And those voter suppression tactics historically have been targeted at black voters, at Mexican-American voters, voters with disabilities, young voters, old voters, and voters in, in big cities. And it's no surprise that these current voter suppression bills target these same set of, of voters. It does away with 24-hour voting, which is really hard on shift workers. Again, you're working two $7.25 an hour jobs. That second shift may get off at 2 a.m. Your next shift may start at 8 a.m. If you don't have 24-hour voting, you're not voting at all. It does away with curbside voting, which would be very hard for those with disabilities. It requires those with disabilities to disclose what their disability is in a public setting. So personal, private, privileged information being released to the public. And then perhaps one of the most pernicious elements of this, it allows so-called poll watchers who historically have been posted at polls to keep black voters and lower income voters from freely being able to vote. It allows them free reign in the polling places, including allowing them to videotape voters as they try to cast their ballots. We know that is likely to dissuade uh, really an untold number of voters and voters targeted within certain demographics that Republicans and, and frankly, the white men in power in Texas fear the most. So the answer to this is to ensure that we mobilize in Texas to stop these before final passage and before they're signed into law by our governor, Greg Abbott. And then maybe just as importantly, to appeal to our US senators and to the president to pass the For the People Act, which would roll back these voter suppression efforts in states like Georgia and Texas and Florida and expand voting rights throughout the country. That's the way that we meet this challenge with action. So I'm gonna follow up on that just once one thing because um, different parts of the country have different orientations. For example, you just mentioned poll watchers. The way that we beat the daily machine in Chicago was poll watching, poll watching. We were the first ones that went into polling places and turned to the back of the machine with the judges and said, I want to see that no votes have been cast, you know. So that was our defense. So what you're describing is a situation where the Republicans who clearly don't want anybody to vote because they can't win. That seems to be what's going on. They are the ones recruiting poll watchers. Why, why do we not have poll watchers on both sides is, is one question. It, it's really interesting that you bring up the, the difference between how poll watching has been conducted in Illinois yeah. and then how poll watching has been deducted, conducted in Kansas, I mean, in Texas and frankly in Kansas and in other states that are <laughs> right. facing voter suppression right. measures. In Texas, um, this, this sordid history of poll watching goes all the way back to the Ku Klux Klan um, who, who would post um, their members at various polling locations. Um, it's connected to the poll tax and the enforcement of the, the literacy test around voting all provisions intended to keep black voters from participating in our politics. What you see in Texas today with this very onerous voter ID system, a number of, in fact, 750 polling place closures over the last eight years, and a, a racial gerrymander of our state, not my words, but the words of a three judge federal panel 
is you see Jim Crow dressed up in 21st century clothing. And this idea that we are simply standardizing elections in Texas and that all of these provisions apply equally to black and white voters alike, when we know the outcome and the effect is certainly targeted at black voters and other voters of, of color. What makes it so hard, Katie, is that the 1965 Voting Rights Act was gutted in the 2013 Supreme Court Shelby decision. So there's no preclearance provision. So the Department of Justice can't review all these awful things that Texas and Georgia and Florida and, and other southern states are doing in Arizona. And, and it's really, um, if we don't pass the For the People Act, it'll take us years under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act to, to bring these issues to court and adjudicate them successfully. We, we need action now. So, so one of the things that we've been saying on this show in regards to that, because we also cover um, historic stuff, um, is that we need an anti-war size movement really across the country um, banging on um, voters' rights and help and pushing to pass the, the, uh, the bill that's making its way through Congress right now. For the people. Yeah, when you, um, you started something called Powered by People, is that the name, the right name I've got? That's right. And so we're talking community organizing, aren't we? And Absolutely. Our, our volunteers are going door to door to register voters in Texas. So even if these bills pass and become law, these voter suppression bills, we, we can still win. It's just going to be a lot harder and we have to start working a lot earlier and we can't do it at a distance. We can't literally phone it in. We've got to be at people's doors, having conversations now in 2021. If we have any hope of winning in, in 2022 or 2024. So Powered by People is comprised of literally tens of thousands of volunteers, primarily in Texas, but we also have them in Illinois and Chicago and really everywhere else in this country, all of whom are focused on restoring and strengthening our democracy and ensuring that in states like Texas, there's a level uh, enough playing field so that Democrats can compete and win statewide uh, elections. And so I'm really proud of the voter registration work our volunteers have done, but they've also done a lot of humanitarian work after we had a, a really bad winter storm and power outage where nearly 200 Texans died, many of hypothermia and carbon monoxide inhalation. Our volunteers were on the phones and on the doors bringing water and food and transportation and connecting people to warming centers so they could literally survive uh, and we've done something very similar around COVID vaccines in the poorest, hardest hit zip codes in the state, knocking on doors, signing people up for a vaccine, making sure that in a state that's lost 50,000 people already, that, that we, we don't lose any more needlessly. And so um, a lot of great community-based organizing in Texas right now. You know, let me follow that up, Beto. Uh, I've been coming down there for basketball in the barrio for about 20 something years. And there was always talk about uh, Texas turning blue from people I met. And uh, there, I know there were a lot of hopes for this recent election. And I'm sure that uh, some gains were made, but we had no significant victories. And one of the talking points that came out of it was how in the Valley, the Latino vote did not go uh, for the Democrats as much as was expected. And it occurred to, well, Katie and I were talking that a lot of 
uh, there's a conservative strain in the Latino community and always been a number of kind of Republicans. Uh, what do we do going forward? Do we try to change those people's minds or do we get more results? Does a larger opportunity exist if we register new voters and uh, do a lot more you know, basic organizing to turn out the vote on all sectors? Overall, uh, Latinos overwhelmingly favored Biden-Harris in, in 2020 throughout the country, including in Texas. But I think the way that you phrased the, the question is, is accurate. They, they did not vote for Biden at the levels that, that many expected them to. And I think what we're, we're coming to realize as we pour over the voter data from 2020 is that it wasn't so much that Latino voters in El Paso and Laredo and McAllen, Brownsville, switched their votes from 2016 to 2020, from Democrats to Republicans, but that new Latino voters who had not voted in 2016 were compelled to come out for perhaps the first time in their lives. And I think there were a number of extraordinary circumstances, including the deadliest pandemic of our lifetimes, the worst recession since the Great Depression, and a host of other unique challenges, especially along the border, that, that might have precipitated that, that outcome and that turnout that we saw. You also had this, Michael, Democrats were not on the ground knocking on doors and meeting voters where they were. Republicans were. Republicans did do that hard work. And we can debate whether that was the appropriate thing to do given the public health guidance at the time prior to the vaccine. But nonetheless, um, when we take our entire army off the field, it shouldn't surprise us when the other army does better than they did the last time around. So I think lesson for all of us and, and myself included is we, we cannot ever seed the field and, and we've got to contest every single door. And so I have been traveling to border communities like Laredo, which is about a 10 hour drive from my home in El Paso to go knock on doors and meet voters and listen to them and understand what's important, most important to them. And they need to be hearing a, a really compelling, simple economic message around wages. You know, we keep coming back to $7.25 an hour. That just doesn't work for anyone. Or healthcare. We're the least insured state in the country. That region, the, the, the Mexican border counties in Texas, uh, the, the Texas counties of border Mexico, are the least insured within the least insured state, which means, Michael and Katie, that people routinely die of diabetes. They die of the flu. They die of curable cancers. And of course, they've been dying at COVID, from COVID at record rates. So um, talking about just making sure that you can see a doctor and fill a prescription and take your child to a therapist, making sure that you don't have to work two or three jobs to make ends meet. These are the kinds of things that we need to be saying at people's doors, but we can't put it on TV or on a billboard or put it in the mail or say it on Facebook and hope that people are watching. We've got to show up and, and pay the respect due to those who will decide the outcome of the next election. Speaking of the next election, um, you've now had experience in two big elections um, where we all got to know you better um, when you ran in Texas. And, you know, uh, because you are who you are and it, the race was what it was, a lot of us got to know you and, in fact, supported you from very far away. <laughs> Um, you ran for president. What did you learn running for president about who's in charge, who gets to, who gets covered, 
why do Dems fight one another <laughs> in ridiculous ways? I have stories from 2016 when I was a, a Bernie delegate and then I came home and worked for Hillary. And I'm telling you, I could tell things, do things about that presidential campaign that made it obvious why we didn't win. Um, so any reaction to electoral politics? A lot of us, you know, work in it as volunteers. We feel we are the Democratic Party's foot soldiers, but we also get frustrated by what, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I think I share a lot of your frustration and, and I think a lot of people do, and not, not just Democrats, but Americans. The, 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 the role that, for example, Iowa plays in selecting our nominee, an overwhelmingly white state with a lot of great people in it, but not necessarily most representative of who our country is. I mean, come to Texas, come to Houston, for example, which is the most diverse city in America, bar none. You'll find the largest Vietnamese language speaking population outside of Vietnam in Houston. They speak 120 different languages in the school system in Houston. Uh, as Michael knows from his visits to El Paso, uh, the city I'm in is 85% Mexican American. It's a beautiful blending of, of two cultures and two nationalities and two languages. You're not gonna see a, a whole hell of a lot of that in Iowa or in New Hampshire. Um, so ha having a, a process by which we um, allow the extraordinarily diverse electorate of the Democratic Party and the extraordinary diverse population in the United States to determine who should represent us um, as our candidate across this country. I think that would be extraordinarily helpful and to make it a true contest of ideas and vision and platforms and policies, as well as personality. You're never gonna get away from, from personality. I, I think that could really improve the process. But I'll tell you this, I, I have been so pleasantly surprised by President Biden's performance so far. I mean, I, I don't know that I would have been in the primary um, you know, race uh, for, for president if, if I thought Biden was gonna be as great a president as he has been. You know, I, I would have sat back and, and gotten behind him or gotten behind Bernie or gotten behind somebody else. But, but I think he surprised so many of us with how steadfastly progressive he has been, um, how he's really turned the attention away from himself and the presidency where Donald Trump had it and really focused on the rest of the country and has brought much needed relief and aid to those who are really, really struggling. And so I, I am cautiously optimistic about um, what he will do next when it comes to climate and infrastructure, democracy, immigration. I like what he did on the minimum wage for federal contractors and I hope he uses all the muscle he's got to raise that wage for, for everyone else working throughout this country. So I, I, I certainly see room for a tremendous amount of improvement in how we select our nominee, but I, but I am really grateful for how our nominee performed in the general election and then what he's done thus far as president. So besides running this powered by people, I hear you're teaching in college. What else do you do to keep yourself busy? <laughs> uh, I'm so lucky I, I'm teaching a class at Texas State, an undergraduate course on Texas politics. And then I'm teaching a graduate course at the University of Texas LBJ School um, that's on voting rights and the, the history of voting rights in America, which is a fascinating story and the history of voting rights in, in Texas, which is also fascinating and terribly sad and uplifting alternately, depending on what year or decade you're looking at. 
But it's, it's interesting that having spent the semester focused on that, that's uh, effectively the most important or essentially the most important issue developing in this country right now. You know, what passed in Florida, what passed in Georgia, what, what recently passed and could be signed into law in Texas, and what is pending in 44 other state legislatures right now on top of the insurrection on the 6th of January, the big lie that you mentioned at the top of the show. I mean, if you care about democracy, this is the most essential time for you to be alive and in the fight. So um, I, I, I learned a lot in that class from my students. Um, I hope I was able to share a lot. And now we're, we're all working on this stuff in, in real day-to-day -day life. Maybe you could whip up a, a quick book on voter rights that uh, could uh, go countrywide and uh, help us do the, what we need to do in the next year and a half before the midterms even. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to be able to do that. Speaking of voter rights, I saw you on the Nicole Wallace show the other day and uh, you definitely dodged questions about your future saying <laughs> that wherever you're needed most, uh, either on the ground or in running for office. Uh, but you did stress the importance that the biggest priority is voting rights and the fear of losing democracy. And you really called on people to put pressure on the president and uh, other elected officials. You want to expand upon that a little bit? Or Absolutely. So, you know, a lot, a lot of people are referring to this moment as Jim Crow 2.0. And one might be forgiven for asking, well, what the hell does that mean? And what was Jim Crow 1.0? And we, we know that from the end of Reconstruction, so that the last flourishing of multiracial democracy, until 1965, uh, African Americans in the South and, and frankly through much of the country were denied full citizenship, full civil rights, and the ability to participate in, in our democracy. And it took uh, John Lewis and Fannie Lou Hamer and Rosa Parks and so many civil rights heroes, many of whom gave their lives uh, as martyrs to the cause to compel this country by forcing our conscience to do the right thing. And that resulted in the 1964 Civil Rights Act and the 1965 Voting Rights Act. There is no way that Lyndon Baines Johnson would have used his limited political capital in the first years of his presidency to push through these controversial bills if he was not forced to do so by those who took action and applied the, the pressure that produced the political will to get the job done at the end of the day. That's what we need right now because we have a similar attack on multiracial democracy, rolling back the hard fought wins and gains secured in the 65 Voting Rights Act. And you know, Shelby did it, the, the voting suppression, voter suppression measures, the insurrection, the big lie. I mean, th this is it. And so all of us must step up right now and speak out and compel the president, who I think is a good man and believes in this issue and wants to do the right thing. But I think in some instances, we, we've got to force the president to do that. And I, I heard an apocryphal story about FDR meeting with the NAACP, who outlined a litany of complaints about how African-Americans were treated in this country. And you know, according to this apocryphal story, FDR said to the NAACP representatives, I know you're right, now make me do something about pressure and public sentiment to bear so that I have no other choice but to do the right thing. I, I think we're in that kind of a moment with President Biden. We, he, he knows we're right. Now we've got to make him do it. And so that one is on all of us. We, we can't 
we can't just blame our members of Congress or castigate the Republican Party. We have to look at ourselves and, and decide what we are willing to do. Boy, you said it best. And one, one thing reminding people uh, on this show is that the 50 senators who caucus with the Democrats represent about 41.5 million more Americans than the 50 Republican senators represent. And if we could get that straightened out by, before the uh, next presidential, we might have a chance of, you know, a different outcome of Amen. the Electoral College. Uh, Beto, we really want to thank you for joining us. We know you're a busy guy these days. Uh, and I do want to share an opportunity for you. I just got a text from our mutual friend, Steve Yellen. He and Russ Bradbird have been running basketball in the barrio for years. And uh, Steve wants to know if you will come to camp, which will be virtual this year, and do a speech, a song, or a poem to kick it off. And if your son, Ulysses, who he says is really a hotshot dribbler, will uh, do some Zoom instruction for other kids in the, bar in the Segundo Barrio. I'll, I'll do anything for Steve and Russ and, and for you all, and especially for basketball in the barrio. And I want to thank you, Michael, for supporting that program. For, for your listeners and, and viewers who don't know, uh, 79901 is one of, if not the poorest zip code in, in the state of Texas, measured by median household income. These extraordinary people put on uh, a very low cost camp, maybe a dollar uh, is, is the admission fee. And you get a wealth, not just of basketball training and education, but you hear from musicians, and poets and activists and civil rights champions. And it's one of the most beautiful things happening anywhere in the country. And it makes me so happy and proud that it takes place in, in El Paso. So absolutely, I will be there. And thank you for passing along the invitation. Well, we want to thank you. And if you ever do run for office, we'll help you out El, any way we can or whatever you're doing. You're a hell of a guy. And I look forward to seeing El Paso and watching you in the news. Thank Let you me so know much. When you're in town. Thank you so much for your service, Beto. Keep on, keep strong. Power to the thank people. You. Both of you as well. Adios. 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 Nos vemos. Nos vemos. Bye bye. Wonderful seasons are used and past. Wonderful seasons are over at last And now you must die, child Make it a gracious goodbye, child Mother, deliver me, mother, deliver me Mother, deliver me now Mother, deliver me now Counting beats for the soldiers to go I lost track in the powerful snow Oh, when should we go? I'm afraid I don't Father, deliver me, Father, deliver me, Father, deliver me now. Father, deliver me now. Hey, hey, we're back. We're back with more Live from the Heartland. And uh, we are really happy now to bring on a, 
someone we've known for quite a few years who graced the stage at the Heartland. He's sung around the country, probably around the world. He has his own label. Uh, the one, the only, the incomparable... Andrew Calhoun. Right on. Good morning, guess, Andrew. How are you? I'm reasonably well. I'm coming around. Yeah. You had a little bit of a setback with the vaccine, I understand. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about this because it hasn't been really publicized that much. But if anybody's had a bad reaction to a colonoscopy prep, it's because of the polyethylene glycol which was never used before in vaccines. It's in the Pfizer and Moderna. So go for the J&J. &J. You do not want to go through what I went through after that shot. I got the Moderna. What's that? I got Moderna. Uh, every, most people are just fine with it, you know, and I'm glad to be somewhat vaccinated, but I'm not, not going to get the second shot. And my doctor hadn't heard of this issue, but it, it, is, it is a rare allergy, but people should know about it. Andrew, the last time that you uh, were on our show, uh, you had your daughter with you. What's uh, she up to? Is she still singing with you? Casey's moved out to Portland and uh, trying to make a life out there. She's uh, living with a fella and his, his son and being kind of a stepmom. And she'll come back to visit in August. You like, you like the fella? Yeah, I like him. He seems good. Like a good guy. You know, I just met him briefly as they were leaving, leaving the state in June, you know. And then a month later, my dad broke his hip. So I've been in heavy caregiving mode. But it's interesting when the pandemic hit, it was like it was completely grounded. But my father was starting to lose it anyway. So my job kind of went from hand to mouth folk singer to being a caregiver for my dad, who has enough money for us both to live on his credit card. So whatever, that's how I'm doing, you know. It's interesting, well, it's interesting that as we age, um, we get different jobs to do that we yeah. actually never were totally warned about or prepared for. Um, yeah. Makes you wonder if we were supposed to think that we were actually prepared for the other part of our life. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I don't know. I, I well, don't try, I don't, I'm not really a sentimental person, you know, I don't look back too much. But uh, I <laughs> no, must say Heartland Cafe, that corner, it just, and that neighborhood is, it's like home to me. It just means the world to me. I love going back to Rogers Park. I'm, I'm out in Glen Ellen now in this town I couldn't wait to leave growing up. But uh, even this place is more progressive than it used to be. That's well, we, uh, you know, the Heartland uh, building is, was torn down. They're going to build uh, six stories of apartments and it's a little bit of a, uh, a little hard to walk by there because we all had a lot of wonderful memories there and you did yeah. a lot of singing there. Yeah. Uh, how about, what do you, been, have you been doing much singing given all your other duties, your health issues, your dad, et cetera? Well, you know, I generally in the summers, I, uh, I play a lot of farmer's markets, which I really love doing. I'm, I didn't ever know that I liked playing for kids, but I love playing for kids. <laughs> and I have an occasional online show. I haven't been busking a lot online just because... I have so many friends who are just trying to put food on their table that way, and I'm not worried about it for myself. So I've done a couple library shows, and uh, I'm still working on the music. And um, the last six years, I've been working on a Robert Burns songbook, which is... Uh, let me play one of mine here. Okay. And we'll talk about that whole project, which is... I had no idea what I was getting into with that, his legacy. 
So uh, you're I'll, talking Robbie Burns, the poet, the Robert Scottish Burns, the poet. poet, and I'll play you a song which has been repressed by his editors. Oh, good! I look forward to it. Um, they've never told you what the tune was. I found out what the tune is. I found out when it was written, and uh, it's a completely make love not war piece, which would have been huge in the '60s, you know. But people haven't had access to it really. So anyway, should I play that first? Yeah, let's go. Oh, mine. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> this is fun. It's nice to talk to people. <laughs> Both looking well. I'm a slippery fish headed for the sea. I might look pretty, but you can't catch me. Don't wanna fry high on that beach. I swim for something that I never reach. Swim for something that I'd never reach My heart goes out to weed and rock Weaving in and out of shock Wigging through the water, sniffing in the foam In my element, far from home In my element, far from home Swimming through the darkness I can't treasure chest joy of my life quest and service tell my wife upon the surface I'll be back by half past five home for supper dead or alive home for supper dead or alive now don't tell me that you think I'm sweet because we share something to eat Greedy, moody, call my bluff Nothing but the gold is good enough Nothing but the gold is good enough Don't you know me, dressed so fine Do you like me, pickled in brine Riddled with age marks, stubborn and mean High on depth and sight unseen High on depth and sight unseen Swimming through the darkness I can't rest Searching for the key to the treasure chest Joy of my life, quest and service Tell my wife up on the surface I'll be back by half past five Home for supper, dead or alive Home for supper, dead or alive. Like that. Very, very nice. Thank you. So tell us a little more about this uh, Robert Burns project that you're working on. Uh, Lily Kuzma over at uh, WDCB does a show on Tuesdays called Folk Festival. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's WDCB? Uh, College of DuPage. Oh, right. Okay. Um, I'm pointing because it's over there. Is that yeah, actually is, is the College of DuPage station still going? Because yeah. I, when I tune onto that, push yeah. it on my uh, car, I'm getting Vocalo now. Weird. It's 89.3 okay. or something. They're still on. Yeah, her show's still on. Yeah. Uh, she asked me to do a set of Burn songs. And, you know, I, of course, I 
heard a few in my life and I knew a few, but I, I become more of a researcher. And um, so I ordered the complete Burns. Uh, oh. There was a, uh, 13 CDs. The complete oh. Burns were recorded um, in the 90s by a Scottish label called Lynn Records. And there was a song I'd sung for 30 years I learned from a Gene Redpath record. And it said original tune next to it, A Font Kiss, original tune. And before it was over, I fell on the floor. It was so much better than the tune I knew and that everyone else sang. I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? Why, why don't people sing the tune he wrote it to? Well, Burns played fiddle and he, he loved country dancing. Um, and he wrote lyrics to melodies. He's not a poet that, like, they stuck the tunes on later. He really fitted his his lyrics, you know, to the shape of the tunes. But if you hear, if you've heard maybe half a dozen Burns songs in your life, you haven't heard any of them to the tunes he wrote to. Huh. So I thought, well, I'll make a songbook. I'll do like 75 songs and guitar tabs. And, you know, I'll uh, translate them into scanning English for singers and then... The more I looked at the picture, the more I realized that his songs were never published right in the first place. Literally, like his publisher had this musical hack editor from England who changed the melodies of the great, you know, the great Scottish uh, dance tune collectors and composers. Why? Why could um, Why would he so do that? I'm like, literally, when I realized what was going on was actually the song Old Lang Syne, because uh, there's the famous tune everybody knows which is an old Scottish tune. Yeah. And then people like Gene Redpath will say, this is the original tune, and they'll sing the first tune it was published with in Scott's Musical Museum. But that was a dummy tune because they wouldn't reprint melodies, and they'd already reprinted Old Lang Syne from 1725 book. They reprinted it. Um, and so I started looking at that tune, and it went better with Burns's words. And then I looked at the book from 1725, which is 50 years earlier, and, uh, and the tune was simpler and plainer and truer. And I was just like, what is going on? This guy was changing every tune that came across his desk. So the internet just completely changed the playing field because I can go into Library of Scotland and look at all of the Caledonian Companion, 12 books of tunes by James Oswald. That I can look at the tunes that Burns was writing from directly. And he often said, take this tune from Aird's Airs. And the guy would change the tune, but now you can go and look look up the tune. So, I've got four hundred and ten songs in this book. <laughs> All right, Andrew, and, Andrew, your your research and your scholarship are are waving over us. First, give us the years that uh, Burns that lived. Was, that Burns lived, yeah, life uh, born and died. He was born seventeen fifty nine. He died seventeen ninety six at thirty seven. Wow, young. So he's born in Southwest Scotland and he lived through the American and French revolutions. And he was a farm kid, but the father, you know, five farm families hired this young teacher from Edinburgh named John Murdoch. And so Burns had three years of, uh, of education from this guy who was only 18, but he would give them poems by people like Alexander Pope and have them turn them into prose to show that they understood the words. And I thought, this guy was ahead of what teachers are doing now, you know. That's, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. Well, we're going to, uh, 
Yeah. We're going to ask you to do another song to take us out. But before you do that, how about sharing a little bit about what's going on with your label and uh, what you know about other musicians? You did allude to other people having some hard times and uh, doing busking online, and you chose not to do that. Do you have anything to share about some of the other folks that we might know, as well as uh, how your label is doing, Waterbug? Well, Waterbug, I closed. Ah, I'm glad I, I did. Because, done more uh, research. Waterbug was all CDs, and they're going by the wayside. And I closed it right about in time not to be running to the post office during the pandemic, you know. So that's Waterbug. There's a lot gonna... of great musicians doing shows online. Some of them are quite famous. Some of them are, you know, I love watching my pal Michael McNevin out in California. Um, Rod McDonald does great shows down in Florida. Kate McLeod does something every Sunday night. And some of them, you know, they're doing they're doing okay with it. They got their followers and it gives you a reason to play, you know, yeah. prepare a show and so on. Anyway, this song um, perfectly illustrates why I'm doing this book. Because I didn't know it had a tune and I always loved the words. The first line is, I murder hate by field or flood. I'm like, wow. So this is, Burns could have fought against us, you know, at the Bunker Hill. He could have signed up. Um, so this was written around 1781 or two. It's called, On the Great Recruiting in the Year 17- During the American War. So this is a tune that um, has never been published with the words. So I'm excited to I'm excited to get this one out. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. It's really... We love you. It's great to see you. Love you, too. Great to see you, Andrew. We get to see in person before too long. I murder hate by field or flood. The glory's name may screen us. In wars at home I'll spend my blood. Life-giving wars of Venus. The deities that I adore are social peace and plenty. I'm better pleased to make one more and be the death of twenty. This needs a little explaining. So he's naming Socrates and a couple of other figures who died, you know, for high principle laid down their lives. And then the last person mentioned is uh, Zimri and Cosby. Zimri was uh, stabbed to death by in his tent because he was getting it on with a woman from out of the tribe in the Bible. So Burns is saying, I'd rather die like this guy. So here we go. I would not die like Socrates for all the fuss of Plato, nor would I with Leonidas, nor yet would I with Cato. The zealots of the church or state shall ne'er my mortal foes be. But let me have bold Zimri's fate within the arms of Cosby. That's great. Thank you. That is Isn't great. it great? I love it. That's, That's delightful. 
Yeah. You are going to have some fun with that when you get to uh, do it in front of an audience. I yeah. Bet. There's a lot yeah. of stuff. There's better texts. You know, a man's a man for all that. Fairly famous. There's a much, there's a more radical, humbler version of it that's just beautiful, you know. Andrew, uh, we so. just so appreciate that you have been um, the kind of troubadour that you have all of the life that we've known you for. And um, and thank you for continuing to delve, dig deep. And after thank the, you, Katie. After the things that we cherish, music, poetry, all thank of it. Thank you. Thank you. As soon as we're back in the studio, when we're back in the studio, we're going to come get you to come in and join us again. Uh, I'd love to. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Peace you guys. Out. Right Peace on, out. brother. Love you too. Think of our seasons and the feelings and the moods. Think of all the people that our love affair includes. We are bound together like the morning and the evening. We are bound together with the living and the breathing wind. Some things happen that shouldn't, my child. Like the snapping turtle snapping while a turtle killer smiled And the sun went pale and day was drained of meaning We are bound together with the living and the breathing wind Listen to the sound Wow, that was great! He's always good. I love seeing Andrew Calhoun. Um, we will make just a few announcements before the show uh, is over for today. The Glenwood Sunday Market in Rogers Park returns June 6th at the Pratt Lot location, same as last year. Um, and in our in memoriam, we want to extend our uh, sorrow uh, to our heartfelt feelings to uh, Bob Kester's family, uh, Bob Kester passed away, uh, went to on to Blues and Jazz Heaven, founder of Delmark Records, which you all know we've featured many times on the show uh, with the new owners. Um, but Bob was a, a, a trailblazer in Chicago and in St. Louis, which was his original home. Um, and he was also a guest on this show back in 2015. Uh, maybe we'll find the link sometime and bring it up. But Peace and blessings to all Bob's uh, beloveds. Yeah, he did great for music and for the city of Chicago and a lot of things. Quite a guy. Uh, one little sports note, five team captains and members of the uh, often powerful Syracuse men's lacrosse team recently threatened to walk out if attack man, uh, his name is Scanlon, was reinstated from an indefinite suspension which came after an allegation of domestic abuse. And mm -hmm. I uh, point this out because in the world of sports, uh, sometimes the jocks uh, are not as uh, sympathetic and understanding of proper behavior. And apparently the uh, lacrosse players up at Syracuse are. And with that said, we're gonna I turn wanna to- say, I wanna say for over 25 years, we have brought you live from the Heartland now called Heartland at Home. 
um, broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time on Chicago's WLUW 88.7 FM, where it is also streamed live. You can also reach any of our archive shows at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia. And we are cable cast all week long on CAN-TV channel 27. Thanks to our team, Luis Mejia, Lynn Orman-Weiss, with shouts out to James Porter and Tom Clark. Where are you boys? Mwah. We're going to go out to Our World by Twin Peaks. Have Please a great do, week. Do good in the world. The world needs all the good that we do. All power to the people. All power to the people. Hey